0: Well, if you're here for the first time, we're so thankful you decided to worship with us today. Uh, Today, we're officially ending our 11-week trek through the book of Joshua. And next week, we will begin our Scandalous Cradle series, looking at many of the women in the Old Testament uh, that we see in Matthew's genealogy, leading us up to the birth of uh, Jesus for Christmas. And in it, we're going to see God's unique heart for the nations in brokenness, in the marginalized, and how God has uniquely used women for his purposes. And from start to finish, yeah, praise the Lord, from start to finish, through the genealogy uh, with all the men and the women, uh, we'll see that Jesus, he didn't come from a picture-perfect family. Like, there are several scandals and uh, several rocky moments that we'll see, and yet Jesus, through his birth, he brings hope into the scandal. And so in many ways, we're going we're gonna to zoom out for uh, five weeks to scan over the Old Testament and remember why Christmas is just such a big deal. <clears throat> and, we're gonna, and, and while we're scanning over the Old Testament, we'll see the natural implications for us today and how we today are called to continue to carry out and to continue to display God's heart to the world around us. And today, as we end the book of Joshua in chapter 23 and chapter 24, it's going to kind of springboard us into our next series, because in these last two chapters of Joshua, Joshua gives us his parting words. It's like his farewell speech. And I love what we'll see today, because Joshua, uh, he's essentially passing on responsibility of kingdom advancement onto the next generation. And he does it uh, by calling his people to look back and to also to look ahead. So if I had to sum up the book of Joshua uh, in just a few words, I would use words and phrases like God keeps his promises, God goes to battle for his people, God des- and, and that God desires to build his kingdom, and, and what we'll see today is Joshua passing on these themes to those who then come after him, and in many ways, our text today essentially calls us to zoom out and to look back and to also Look ahead. And in it, we're going to see a call to remember God's past faithfulness to then fuel us with hope for his future faithfulness. And we'll talk about this, we talk about this idea a lot here at New City because it comes up so frequently in the Bible. You know, when you walk through books of the Bible like we, we often do, you just can't get around this concept because the Bible regularly and systematically calls us to remember and to recount all of what God has done. And the reason it calls us to do it is for the purpose of sustaining endurance and hope for the days ahead. It deepens our trust in the Lord. And that's what Joshua is trying to do. And he's passing on the baton of God's call to the next crop of leaders, uh, which leads us to our main idea. God's past faithfulness provides hope for trusting in God's future promises. Again, the entire book of Joshua is a book that has shown that God keeps his promises. And in Joshua's two farewell addresses today, we'll see God call both the leaders and the entire nation in in two different speeches to renew their commitment to the Lord. And how does he do it? Well, he just kind of takes them down memory lane of all that God has done and reminds them of this. And whether you're a Christian or not today, I think we can all agree that our history, it plays a very pivotal part in our life. It affects who we are as a person, how we act, how we view the world, how we engage in relationships. It affects our confidence, it affects our insecurities. It all plays a part in who we are. No, it doesn't define us, and God redeems it. But at the the same time, however we wanna put it, we must know it causes us to view the world differently. But what is unique to the Christian is that yes, God can restore it and use it for his good, but what we also can't miss is that we have a picture of the future that provides us with certainty, that can totally reshape who we are and what we do. And with, uh, and with Jesus, our promised future, it overshadows our past history. And so yes, we can all agree that our past, yes, it shapes us, but as Christians, we can also say, we know the end game we know how the story ends. We have a promise of peace for all of eternity. And that in itself is life-altering and shaping, and it fills us with hope. Like, we don't have to guess for the future. We know how it ends. And yes, I understand that there are a lot of details uh, that, no, we don't know about the future. But we do know the really important ones. And so that's, uh, let's jump into these last two chapters of Joshua and see what Joshua leaves with his people and just like we've done the past few weeks I'm not going to read every verse of these two chapters I'm going to tell some and read some and as we do it we're going to draw three charges or kind of three action steps along the way and we're going to walk through chapter 23 and the first half of chapter 24. And I'm going to teach and explain uh, kind of real briefly for about five minutes, kind of reading and explaining that chapter and a half as we go, kind of what's happening. And then we're going to jump into our first two charges. And then our last charge, we're going to end our time with it. We'll, it's going to come from the second half of chapter 24. And just as a kind of a quick recap, God's people, they have fought battles for about five years with God's miraculous help. They inherit the land that God promised them. And then last week, we saw kind of a danger towards disunity in chapter 22. And now we're picking back up in chapter 23, starting in verse 1. And as we read it and kind of talk through this chapter, look look at verse 1 in chapter 23. A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies... And Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. So I want to point out here that Joshua, who's now not just advanced in years, but now he's well advanced in years, like he's at the end of his life. And Joshua is now in chapter 23, speaking to the leaders of Israel. And then in chapter 24, we're going to see him speak to the entire nation. And so, again, there's two different speeches here in 23 and 24. And so, in essence, we have these two farewell addresses with many similarities. You know, first, kind of that more intimate address to leaders. And then secondly, like I said, the entire nation. But we're going to look at them both together. And we're going to look at what it says, uh, what is his first speech. This is what he says. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. And so I want you to notice what Joshua is doing here. He's passing the baton to these new leaders. He's having his leaders acknowledge what they've seen God do. He said, you've seen what God has done to all these nations for your sake. It's the Lord your God who fought for you. He's saying, hey, remember this land. God gave you this land. Uh, God gave you this place of rest in this land. Don't forget what God has done. And then notice he moves from looking back to then looking ahead, starting in verse 4. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes these nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So in essence, he's saying, hey, there's still more work to be done. And we saw back in chapter 13, there's still more kingdom advancement that needs to happen. And then he said in verse five, that God will push them back, that God will drive them out just like He did in the past. Again, God made a promise for the future. And so again, Joshua is drawing on God's past faithfulness to inspire their trust for his future faithfulness. And look what he says next in verses six through eight. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. He says, therefore, in verse 6, saying because, because God has made this promise, this is what you are to do. And what does he say in verse 6? He says to be very strong and to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. He's saying don't mix with these like other little g gods, but rather cling to the Lord your God who's brought you to this place. And so in essence, Joshua is calling these leaders to the same call that he gave to him back in Joshua chapter 1. And so Joshua's call to these leaders, these newer leaders in chapter 23, it's eerily similar to God's call to Joshua, like almost nothing has changed. God told Joshua to be strong and courageous and to walk in obedience and to do uh, what God tells you to do. And that was the call. And it still is the call to these new leaders to simply just follow the Lord. And we're seeing kind of this back and forth cycle of remembering the Lord's faithfulness in the past and then seeing what's ahead And then just uh, in response, walking in obedience to the Lord. Look at this. We see this cycle kind of continue. Look at verses 9 through 11. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to fight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he has promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Again, God has been faithful. He's saying they've seen it. And now Joshua is calling them to re-up their call to the Lord. And then he follows that up with a warning. Look at verses 12 and 13. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And so Joshua is pointing out uh, that there are other people among him that uh, that are not these people are not in the lord's family yes they have driven out many nations but they didn't get rid of all of them completely like some have stayed around and joshua is warning them don't cling to them do not follow their ways don't follow uh, their their false gods no cling to the lord because he knows if they follow the ways of these other people it will not go well for them and then as the chapter ends joshua tells them um, he's about to pass away look what he says in verse 14 And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Again, it's this repetitive reminder that he is going to pass away and he's trying to pass on the legacy of God's faithfulness. He told them not one word has failed of all the good things that God has promised them. All have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. Again, Joshua is recounting over and over again the faithfulness of God to God's people, leading us to our first charge today. It's good for us to, number one, recall the Lord's faithfulness. And we've seen this multiple times throughout the entire book of Joshua. As soon as they cross the Jordan, what do they do? They set up stones to remember and then they renewed their covenant with the Lord. And then right after that tragedy of, with Achan, Joshua got all the people together and they collectively renewed and remembered their covenant with the Lord. And then after all the battles in chapters 10 through 12, battle after battle, they wrote down all 31 battles they won so that they could remember the Lord's faithfulness. And then they wrote down nine chapters of detailed land allotment so that they could remember the gift that God gave them in the land. And then we saw uh, the two and a half tribes last week, they set up the altar so they could worship and remember the Lord. Again, this is a recurring over and over and over again thing. And in many ways, the scriptures call us to remember as a commanded discipline to remember the Lord's faithfulness. And So today, I want to call us very simply as a church and as a people just to remember what God has done. You know, we're going uh, to do this at the end of our service with communion, just simply remembering the cross and, the res- and, and, and what Jesus did for us there, taking our sins. But I also want to call us to look just into our own life and to remember the faithfulness of God in our own life. And, and I wish I could say I planned this, but I didn't. But I do find it really fitting as uh, we kind of head into Thanksgiving, just as a natural time in our culture to stop and remember and to give thanks just to the Lord's faithfulness. You know my, my city group this past week. You know, we did like a friendsgiving, we shared a meal and we all kind of gathered together and we shared with each other what we were thankful for. And you know, it just blessed my soul. Like just hearing story after story of God's goodness in each other's lives. Like I'm like in the corner like getting emotional, just trying to hold back the tears, right? Like we need this. This is so good for us. And and maybe you're here today and you think I don't really want to do this. Because like my life right now, is kind of not so great. And I would just say and urge you like to press in even more so because these are the moments, our darkest moments, where we need to remember the Lord's faithfulness the most. It's in our darkest hours when we need to cry out and declare the faithfulness of God over our life. And just as a simple tool for us, just to help us with this, there are several different ways to remember and recall God's faithfulness. But a really great place to start would be to, uh, letter A, remember the Lord's faithfulness in salvation. Remember and just rethink how God brought you out of darkness and into the light of Jesus. And simply just return to the joy of our salvation. You know, maybe you're like my wife uh, and grew up with parents that regularly pointed her to Jesus and came to Christ at a young age. If that's you, praise the Lord today for the faithfulness of God to provide you with parents that love Jesus. I mean, what an incredible gift. We pray for our kids here at New City that parents would be on fire for Jesus and they would spill over to the kids and they would come to Christ at a young age. But, but maybe your salvation story, uh, that's, not, that's not it. And maybe you were you're like me and you lived a life of rebellion and just kind of apathetic towards God. You know, but this past week, I, I thought and remembered the sheer grace and mercy of God to save me. And how my Young Life leader in high school pursued me in my apathy for two years straight while my life was just falling apart, living in rebellion, and how uh, this guy, he showed me Jesus week after week until God just captured my heart. Y'all, that is God's faithfulness in my own life. And I want to call each of us just to stop and remember the joy of your salvation. so, yes, remember the Lord's faithfulness in saving you, but also next, remember the Lord's faithfulness through moments of uncertainty. You know, as I sat down and did this exercise myself, I just thought back to that same year in high school when I knew I needed new friends that walked with Jesus. I was lonely and I needed direction. And then uh, over the next year, God saw it fit to put people in my life to this very day are still some of my best friends that I could just pick up the phone with at a moment's notice and just share my heart with. You know, I, I sat down and wrote about 15 different things. So just remembering moment after moment of God's faithfulness in my life over the past 20 years, and y'all, it has been it was so good for me. It just kind of took all the the worries in my head, uh, and slowly did, they just kind of melted away. And as I was doing that, I remember just one more small and yet very defining moment. Another moment of uncertainty, specifically uh, for our future, wrestling through God's call over our life. And I wanted to share with this with you because the small thing, it played a major shift in us planting New City. And I remember about eight years ago, you know, I applied and got into a master's program for biblical counseling, and I had finished seminary, but wanted to uh, further equipping and counseling, thinking maybe this is what God would have us to do, make, us to do for, but I knew I needed to get scholarships to help pay for the program And there were several scholarships I thought I could get. I had all the qualifications for all of them. It seemed like a sure thing. Well, come to find out, I didn't get a single one. Like five out of five total rejections. I'm just talking about a very humbling moment. Like God clearly shut that door, making it abundantly clear that counseling was not in our future. Well, after a month of me kind of sulking in my misery, our pastor at our church asked me to come and help in his sermon research as a way to help him and to develop me. I was like, "That sounds great," but uh, I'm pretty sure preaching's not in my future. Kind of laughing about it, you know. Well, here we are, eight years later, and the Lord's faithfulness to shut a door in my life opened up a totally different door. I mean, we could keep going on and on about these uncertain moments in our lives. We're looking back on them, you can see the faithfulness of God. And every single one of us, we have these peaks and valleys, high moments and low moments, but regardless of the moment, we must look and see the Lord's faithfulness in all of it. And just as a disciplined exercise this week, I want to uh, encourage each of us to just sit down and write out and recount these things in our own life of how God has been faithful in both the highs and in the lows. And not just in salvation and uncertainty, but here are just a few more categories to write and think through. Remember the Lord's faithfulness through seasons of trial and hardship. Like what trials and battles has God brought you through? Maybe it's emotional or mental or sin struggle. Maybe it's relational or circumstantial. Like look back and contemplate and think through how God has worked in your life. I mean, think through how God has been faithful, uh, just maybe through financial provision or with your family or your friends or in, in the church, our church. You know, one of the most encouraging things for me to do is just to see how God is working in so many of your own lives. Just to think about the healing and help and growth that has happened with so many of us. Like, I can't help but think over the past three years what God has brought us through to get where we are today as a church. And I'm not going to talk about it today, but on our three-year birthday in January, we're going to recount the Lord's faithfulness to our church. And believe me, guys, God has been so kind to us. Our three-year birthday, it's going to be a big deal for us. and We're going to celebrate the Lord's faithfulness. But again, for now, going into Thanksgiving, I want, us to call, I want to call us to take a moment and stop and just write out and talk about the Lord's faithfulness in our lives and the lives of those around us. And again, the reason this is so important for us is because it helps us to see God's goodness and those mundane and hard moments to help us to press on for the days ahead. In New City, you also know, do you also know why we do this? It's because the Bible just regularly calls us to do it. Because God knows how quickly we can forget and lose sight of His faithfulness. We're not going to do this, but if you were to go back and read the first 14 verses of chapter 24, Joshua recounts and he retells God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. He starts with Abraham going verse by verse. He lists story after story of what God has done to get them to where they are. And again, the reason Joshua did this first with his leaders and then with all of Israel was so that they could remember the faithfulness of God to be propelled and fueled to endure in what lies ahead. This was how he was passing the baton to the next generation. And again, this is so important because, yes, the Christian faith, it's a historical faith. We're called to remember. We're called to look back. We're also simultaneously at the same time called to look ahead and to look out at what God has before us. And so Joshua, he gathered all the leaders of Israel together for the purpose of passing the baton of kingdom advancement to the next generation, to these next crop of leaders, seeing and knowing there was still much work to be done. Which which just as a side note, here at at New City, we are adamantly committed to this. When uh, when we stop passing the baton to new leaders, kingdom advancement slows down. This is essential to the mission. We must continually be raising up new leaders and passing the baton to the next generation. And so what this means uh, is that every single person at New City has a next step in their leadership journey. Because as we see here, it's essential to kingdom advancement. And part of how we do this is by doing what Joshua did. In verses 4-5 to of chapter 23, Joshua showed them that there is still much land to obtain, showing them that God's kingdom wasn't finished yet. Leading us to say as our second charge for today, number two, regularly look out and see what God is doing. And as we bring this to today, just as New Testament Christians, we know that there is still much kingdom work to be done. You know, Jesus, before he left this world, he gave us the Great Commission, leaving his 12 disciples with the task of reaching the entire world. And Joshua said, uh, we still have land to obtain. And then Jesus, he comes in and he kind of flips that upside down, showing us that, yes, we still are building God's kingdom, but not by political borders as we've seen, but by invading the hearts of people all over the world with the good news of Jesus. That Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead to free us from sin, to be the king of our life. Church, we have good news for a hurting world. And I can't help but think that every single person in this room and in our church, as a fair estimate, is relationally connected in some way to at least 20 people, if not far more. And so what this just simply means, when we think about the amount of people in the Tampa area that we're connected to in a relational way, our web of influence as a small church, it extends to several thousands of people. And New City, I want us to simply uh, just look out and see what God is doing. And, and we may, uh, we may have, we have eyes to see that out of those maybe 20 people or more people that we're connected to, at least two to three people, at least two to three are searching for Jesus. If we each just did a quick scan, we just asked ourselves, like out of all the people that we know here in this area, uh, where do we see God working? Like, whose life is God uh, very clearly working in? Maybe they're asking questions. Maybe they're searching. Maybe they're looking for something to grab onto because their life may be just kind of falling apart. Just imagine with me what could God do if each of us just chose one person to pray for and intentionally invest in? I mean, just dream with me, New City, what could God do just over the next six months? Again, when we recount God's faithfulness in our life, in the lives of those around us to save us and to change us, we can have great confidence that God will continue to do this again and again and again in the future. When we think about Serve Week coming up, in a couple of weeks, as we seek to serve our community in tangible ways, this, it's, it helps us to look up and see what God is, where God is working and where we can step in to bring hope and help. Like what can God do if we each stepped in to make a, just a small difference in our community? We think about all the, the, the students in middle school and high school and college age uh, that are just within our own ge- uh, like geographic area and all the families that are connected to them as well as the retirees and empty nesters and all those that are moving here from all over the world. Like it's, it's not hard to see that there is still much kingdom work to be done just here in the Tampa area. Like, what could God do if we as a church are relentless in our pursuit to reach every generation for Jesus? You know, we can have hope because of his past faithfulness, knowing he will continue to work in line with his future promises, which means people will continue to come to Christ. Like, it will happen. I mean, what a hope. And then next, because we're a Great Commission church, we absolutely do not stop our mission here in the Tampa Bay area. No, year after year, we partner with church planters in order to continue to advance God's kingdom into new places. And this year, I'm excited because as a church, we get to partner with one of my good friends. His name's Tanner Hogue, He's planting a church in Norfolk, Virginia, in a place that has a significant need for more healthy gospel-centered churches. And it's also a strategic place for sending and mobilizing with two colleges nearby, along with a major Navy base in their backyard. And so we as a church, we're going to send them money and pray for them and maybe even send people with them if people are willing and able to go. And I I know many will say, why would we send money and invest in a church plant in Virginia? Like there are so many people here that need Jesus. Let's invest more here. And very simply put, we partner with church plants and send missionaries and send them money because our God is a missionary God. Because the gospel is always moving from place to place and from city to city. And the Great Commission calls us as followers of Jesus to invest in places all over the world in all different regions. Do you know why we also do this? Because this is God's heart. (laughs) It's his desire to continually start new works. And we also do it because, well, the Bible tells us to do it. Yes, like there's so much work to be done here in Tampa Bay. And When we are all in here, in Tampa, but the sheer fact that our God is a kingdom advancing God, always moving into new places and into new territories, we're called to submit to Him and to His ways. And he calls us to just look up and look out at what God is doing and to just simply join Him in His mission. You know, here at New City, we're not here to build our kingdom or just the Tampa Bay kingdom. No, we're here to build God's global kingdom. And that happens by planting churches, and mobilizing missionaries. And this year, through our year-end offering called Anchored for the Mission, we're raising money to send to our church plants that we support and to support missionaries around the world. We're giving uh, to support many of the teams and people that we send our short-term trips to in South Asia and in Central Asia. Like when we send out missionaries from our church, the organization that we give money to, it fully funds everything for full-time missionaries, 100%. Like the missionaries, they don't have to raise support, but they can focus on their mission. And we as a church, with many other churches, help to raise those funds for them. Like we will give several thousands of dollars, and those funds help provide salaries and housing and travel and language learning and insurance. I mean, everything. And so next year, by God's grace, when we commission out several of our own, the money we give this December will help pay 100% of all of their expenses. Like, the reason we give extravagantly and generously above our normal tithes and offerings at the end of every year is we see, we, we see God working around the world, and we as a church, we just want to join Him in it. In New City, before we, before we ever started our church, we, we were receiving money from outside donors to support our church. And we took our very first year-end offering before we officially launched our church, like we took it up within our church, And we sent more money to advance God's kingdom out of our church than we had coming in our church that month from outside sources. You know what? God has blessed our church in so many ways, time and time again, and in return. Like, just He keeps, He continues to bless. And so we give and give and give, and God continues to provide for our church. And so let me just take a a few minutes and let me just get into the weeds of this year end offering and explain what we're doing, because this year it's going to be a little different. You know, over the past uh, three years, we as a church have been seeking to become totally financially independent. We've given ourselves a five-year runway, and y'all, we are so close to hitting uh, our target to put us two years ahead of schedule and doing it in just three years. And y'all, this is like a really big deal for us because it means God is further anchoring us here in Tampa so that we can do more ministry here in Tampa and expand our reach all over the world and also to give away more money in the years ahead. And the reason this is different this year is because over the past three years, we've had a separate offering with like a separate giving link specifically for year-end giving. 100% that came in, 100% would go out. But our goal from the very beginning has always been to from a dollar-based year-end giving to an, all, to an all-year percentage-based giving specifically for planning purposes and also to help us be more generous and to give away more money year over year. Because with this, as our church grows, our missions in church planting and kingdom advancing giving, it's going to naturally grow with it. And so in 2023, because of God's kindness to provide for our church, we're able to make that switch this year, two years ahead of schedule. And so, yeah, praise the Lord. And so we'll be switching from dollar-based giving to percentage-based giving with long-term goal of moving to 10% of our total budget to go outside of our church to kingdom-advancing work all over the world. And so in the month of December, once we hit our projected budget number, everything over and above up to 10% of our year-end budget will go to kingdom-advancing work. And maybe you're like, okay, great, that sounds awesome, but also like a bunch of jargon to me. Well, let me put this a little bit more plainly. We're praying that the month of December will be our largest month of giving ever in the history of New City Church. Just to put this in perspective, you know, last year we had a goal of $8,000 over our normal tithes and offerings, and we raised $15,000 to give away. We almost doubled it. Well, this year when we were talking about like, with our elders and our goal, my thought was $20,000 sounds like a great number for our church. It's a big number. Uh, it would be a great accomplishment for our church. It's not 10%, but it's a step towards that goal. Well, then one of our elders with much greater faith than me said, well, not, why not make it $35,000, which would be that 10% number? No, I immediately just got like a pit in my stomach. And as Pastor AJ said, brother, I think we need to go to faith camp <laughs> because we see these numbers and the math, like it just gets, it, gets, it makes us nervous. But y'all, uh, this tends to be the trend when, when, when we say a goal, like it almost gets doubled. And you know what? I love it. I love the faith of our church because it pushes us and encourages us. Uh, and me so that we, so that we like so like there it is we twenty thousand dollars that would be an awesome target it would be a really big win for us the church is si- our size typically just don't come close to but thirty five thousand dollars is our crazy silly god-sized grand slam goal and then everything over thirty five thousand dollars we're going to spread it across our entire budget to kickstart us in the 2023 you know me just saying this it may like breaks me out in sweats <laughs> But you know what it does? It causes me to get on my hands and knees and beg God to move among us just to work in our hearts in a radical way because these types of goals new city, we can't meet them if everyone isn't involved. Like it is an all hands on deck thing. It will take every person jumping in to give. You know what else it makes me think of? Just God's past faithfulness to our church. How many times I have thought something seemed absolutely ridiculous and then God just blows it out of the water. doesn't mean it's going to happen, but we continue. It's propelling us. God's past faithfulness in year in giving is spurring us on in his future faithfulness. And so if you've never given to our church, this is the month to do it. New City, there's no doubt about it. God is working among us and through us, but this December, I'm praying that God would just soften our hearts and unlock our hearts for generosity and to look and see where God is working and then and just join Him in what He's doing to give generously and extravagantly and cheerfully for His mission. And what I love about this is that we have a promise from God's Word that all nations will respond in faith, that every tribe and people and language and tongue, they will worship Jesus. And so what do we do? We just simply align our hearts and lives with God's heart and join God in what he's doing. Like we step into his promise, and we pray, and we give, and we go to the nations. And we also know, we also have a promise that God will absolutely build his church and the gates of hell, they will not prevail against it. Y'all, God's plan to reach the world is through the church. It's through the people of God. And so what do we do? We seek to plant new churches year after year after year. We seek to plant churches in the United States all over the world. We know that church planting, it is God's plan and design for kingdom advancement. Like this is God's heart. And so what do we do? We align our hearts with his. We look to see where God is working and we just join him in a new city. Now I will say this until I'm blue in the face. When we give, this is not a budget issue, or because that we need it, or because God needs it. No, we give because it unties our hearts from the world, and it reties our hearts back to the kingdom of God. Well, God doesn't want our money. God wants our hearts, and God knows our hearts can be so deeply tied to our resources, like our money. And generous and consistent giving is just part of growing as a Christian. It's part of discipleship. And so, yes, we give of our resources, but we also give of our time and our abilities and what God has allowed us to do because God calls us to be generous in so many different ways. You know, with that said, as we kind of get to the end of this chapter, I'm starting to kind of land the plane, uh, looking at the end of this book, looking at God's heart for kingdom advancement and to continue to advance His new work into new places, I want us just to notice in our text what Joshua says. Right after he goes through just like this long list of story after story of recounting God's faithfulness, Joshua says to all of Israel, starting in chapter 24, verse 14, he says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region, beyond the region, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in essence, Joshua looks at his people and says, you must choose. You must choose who you will serve. Will you serve these other gods or will you serve the Lord? And then he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God's people, they had just inherited this new land, but moving forward, they had to make a choice. Would they follow the Lord or would they go into a different direction? They had to choose. And then as the chapter kind of ends, we see them basically say, of course we will follow the Lord. And then Joshua's like, no, 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 you have to count the cost here because you can't serve both. You can't worship those other gods. And they confirm that, yes, they would serve the Lord only. And then they make a commitment. They make a covenant to one another. They serve the Lord. And then we see at 110 years old, Joshua passes away. And the book of Joshua ends. And yes, Joshua passed away, but their covenant and their calling, it carried on. It was passed on. Joshua passed on the commitment to the next generation, and they stepped up to serve the Lord. And so for us today, we need to wrestle with the same thing. We must wrestle with the same calling. We must choose. Who will we serve? Whose direction will we live in? Will we follow the Lord, or will we follow the path of the world? Y'all, and there's so many areas of our life that we're called to wrestle with this. Like, we need to scan over our entire life and ask this about every nook and cranny. But as we look specifically at the call of our life and how we use of our time and our talent and our treasures, like how we use of our resources and the gifts and the abilities that God is giving us and the calling on our life, we must ask, like, what do our resources say we serve? Do we serve the Lord or maybe something else? And I want to be really careful because I don't want to be this uh, guilt driven. That's not the purpose of this. Me saying this is simply just a diagnostic question. Like when we look out at the, at our, the entirety of our life, what does it say? New City, God's, uh, God has been faithful in the past. He's called us to a massive task. We have a mission ahead of us, but we must ask, who will we serve? Will we step into the mission or we ignore God's call? But as I say this, I want to bring out our last point as we kind of land the plane in our time, and it's number three. Mission starts with worship, not the task. And y'all, this is so important because after I've spent uh, all this time talking about the task ahead of us and looking to see how God is working, we must see from our text in both chapter 23 and chapter 24, the way in which Joshua spoke to them was remembering God's past faithfulness, looking to see where God is working. And you know what he did next? He then said in chapter 23, verse 8, he said, you must cling to the Lord. In verse, chapter 23, verse 11, he said, therefore, love the Lord your God. In chapter 24, he said, therefore, fear the Lord your God. Like, be in awe of Him. Like, this is a reoccurring thing. Again, mission starts with worship, not the task. And throughout this entire book of Joshua, we've seen time after time, God say, walk in obedience. Follow me worship me, fear me. That's the first and primary call. We look first to God and then God leads us to a task and a mission. And if we start with the task and forget God, we've seen throughout this book that it just doesn't end well. Like if we engage in the mission of God without worship, we'll burn out and we'll miss it if we seek to give generously without first engaging in worship and looking to the lord and searching out our heart, we won't be able to give cheerfully but rather we'll be it'll be begrudgingly and you'll probably just get annoyed with me for asking to give you more money to give more money and please hear me new city we don't want your money god doesn't want your money god wants to soften our hearts to unlock them for his purposes around the world you know nothing we have is ours it's all been given to us and so when we say who we choose to serve, we must ask, "Is our entire life does every square inch? Does it say, "We serve the Lord?" You see, God wants our hearts to be for His kingdom, and we start by coming to God with soft hearts and saying, "God, I want to give you every square inch of my life." Which again includes our resources and our time and all of our abilities that God has given us. Like if you have kids or if you're you're married, you have a spouse, I want to encourage you to engage just your whole family in this discussion. This is a great opportunity for discipleship to talk about giving for kingdom expansion. And then being able to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, when we get to the end of our life, I pray often that we would be able to say, we laid down everything. We leveraged everything for the Lord. We held nothing back. And again, I want to be able to say, as Joshua said, as for me and my family, we serve the Lord. You know the goal in this is not accomplishing the task. The goal is to come to Jesus, be in all of Him, and then we will be willing to follow Him wherever He says go, and to do whatever He says do. And as God builds His kingdom, He continues to capture our hearts even more. You know, New City, the book of Joshua. His, uh, this is the book of Joshua. His promises never fail. His words stand true. He fights for us. He battles for our hearts, and in the process, we seek to join Him as He seeks to advance His kingdom. And so we must ask, will we trust Him and join Him? I don't know about you, but for me and my house, I'm going to do everything to be able to say we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. God, may we just be a people that just look at our entire life, every square inch of our life, And to just hand it over to you, just nook and cranny after nook and cranny of our hearts and lives, and just say, God, take this. God, if you're calling me to go to this place, God, would would we just go to it? God, if you're calling us to reconcile the relationship, would we submit to that? God, you've called us to give generously and cheerfully, would we submit that to you? God, if there's someone in here that has not handed over their life at all and have not trusted in Jesus... God, we pray that they, that would be their very first step, to say, God, take my entire life. God, I trust that you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead, and that you have given us everything we need. God, if there's people in here that need to trust in you, would they do that today? We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.